And welcome to another full-blooded podcast lounge episode. My name is Mr. X, but just for now, I'm just going to be Leo because um, I'm really excited in our mobile studio, sponsored by FreeBallroomLessons.com. In our mobile uh, recording studio, I have one of the best dudes that I know in the business. Granted, I only know three, and one's not a dude anymore. But the point is, I want you to welcome to the lounge, the FEP lounge, Jeremy M.F. Paul. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Well, it's not a dude anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. You start off with the shit. I, I can't help it, man. When I'm, around, <laughs> when I'm around you, that's how we get. I want you to tell our audience a little bit about yourself. All right. So, uh, my name is Jeremy. He calls me Jeremy MF Paul, which stands for Jeremy Motherfucking Paul. I'm pretty sure everybody figured that out already. Um, about me, I'm a, I'm a stand-up comic. I used to be in music. Um, I've I've done a lot of things in life that uh, people are consider unsavory now. Uh, I've been in TV shows uh, that just online. Um, I'm from originally from Peoria, Illinois, uh, which is of course the birthplace of Richard Pryor and me. And uh, <laughs> so, like, uh, yeah, I've lived a life. Um, it's and uh, I live in California. I've lived out here since 2004. February 8, 2004 is when I got off the bus to get here. And, uh, yeah, I'm rounding my, uh, like my 15th year here. So, yeah. So thank you for being our guest. Let me ask you something. How long ago did we meet? I, I don't remember. <laughs> we met in, um, I believe, 2007 or 2008. Okay, so it's been 10 years since yeah. we really... I, I was uh, thinking the other day, I was thinking, you know, I'm going to do something that I haven't done in a long time. It's been a couple years, and the best cat to know and how to get started is Jeremy, so I'll give him a call. And in my mind, I thought we've been hashing this out for a year, year and a half, but it's really been maybe over five, seven years? Uh, close to it. Like, I think you approached me to approached me about it, like, like what, two years ago in Vegas? Yeah, but, but before that, we were doing something. How long ago was that? Oh, the, the old podcast that we did, that was in 2000, we stopped that in 2009 or 2000, 2009, we stopped that. Man, when you turn 5-0, when you turn 50, everything <laughs> is just, and, and that's one thing that I've been <clears throat> really processing is, you know, now that I'm uh, 50 and I'm no longer teaching and I no longer have a studio, I'm thinking, man, I want to get out there, I want to talk to Jeremy, and I think you have a lot of interesting things to say. For example, I watched your YouTube videos, I watched maybe four, <laughs> four or five of them. <laughs> Which four or five? Well, the first one that I watched was the one where you said, you taught yourself, you, I like how you enter this, you taught yourself to read at the age of four, the crowd is silent, and then you immediately say, I never get applause for that. <laughs> <laughs> tell, me, tell, me, tell me how you self-taught yourself at four. I want people to know, I think that's awesome. Well, the reason why I self-taught myself at four is like, like, like I said in the video, like, my parents were big into drugs in the 80s. They were smoking weed, doing coke. We lived in the projects. So nobody was paying attention to the kids. Like, nobody. So you had to teach yourself how to read. I'm not the only person that taught myself to read, but, like, I had to do it so I knew what the fuck I was eating and drinking. Okay. <laughs> so, and, then, and, then, <clears throat> and then you went ahead and were faking it when you decided it would be fun to read everything backwards. Tell, tell people. I think that's, I think right. that's a killer part. So you just want to hear the story then? Yeah, I, want to hear the, I, right. I think people should hear this. I think it's an awesome story. <laughs> All right, so like, when I was a kid, after I taught myself to read when I was four, like I, I was silently reading everything. Like I would go to the store, 
and I would read, like, go to the store with my mom, my, with my mom, and I would read books while she was out buying stuff. So I'll be sitting in the in the in the like like a store, like a grocery store, that would sell books, and I would sit there and I would read the books, and I would I would pretend like I was reading reading the pictures, like looking at the pictures, but I'm reading. So I'm teaching myself to read through that. My mom also had like encyclopedias and uh, these lifestyle books. And like Dianetics, and she had all these other she books. She was a big reader. Yeah, my mom read a lot of stuff, so I would read as well. Like I would take books into my room, and I would read everything. Now, uh, my parents discovered that I could read, and then that's when I decided, just to be funny, because I like to play around, I start reading everything backwards. <laughs> like it didn't matter what it was. I just started reading everything backwards. Like I would, we would be driving or walking down the street, and I would go, uh, "Pots," which is stop sign. <laughs> so I would read everything backwards, and it was, I was at my my cousin uh, Nook's house one day, and we're we're sitting in her her apartment, and I they were like, "Hey, Jeremy, what time is it?" And I said, "I think I said something along, along the lines of two eleven, and it was one twelve. Just because I thought it was funny. So when we got to the house, my mom was like, Jeremy, uh, we're going to go to the hospital to get you checked out. Because they, they thought I was dyslexic. So so we got to the, we, we're going to the hospital, and I thought I was in trouble. So on the bus. How old were you? I was, I was five years old. <laughs> I thought I was in trouble. So on the bus to the, to the hospital, my mom said, Jeremy, if you were fucking around, I'm going to beat your ass. Know that, right? And I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so so we get to the hospital, and I think it was St. Francis or Methodist, one of the two. Uh, we get to the hospital, and, like, the doctors come in. He's examining me, blood pressure, heartbeat. And like, all right, so what's the problem? Like, my son is reading everything backwards. I think something might be wrong with his brain. Because, like, there's a whole other thing that relates to this. But I was dropped on my head as a baby, right? How old were you when that happened? I was a baby. I was like like three, three, or, old? three or four or five months old. Okay. So when I was a baby, I had this huge pus ball that they had to drain, right? <laughs> like this huge pus ball on the side of my brain, on the side of my head. They had to drain that all out. So my mom thought it was a reoccurrence of that. Oh, she connected it. Right. That's what they thought was going on. So the wow, lady's intuition, huh? Boy, it wasn't yeah, on that one. Huh? Right. So yeah. so my mom was scared that the brain damage was coming in. <laughs> so but I'm just fucking around. Yeah, because you thought it was funny. Yeah. So when um the doctor examines me, he was like, okay, read this chart. And I just started reading the chart backwards. <laughs> just trying to make the sounds out. Sticking to the story. Right. Like, stick, stick with your fucking lie, yeah, man. Because yeah. that whooping hurts. <laughs> so, oh, wow. So, like, like, I stuck to the story. And because I stuck to the story, long story short, I spent a year in special ed. Oh, yeah, that's right. I do remember that part. Yeah. I remember laughing. I'm sorry. I remember laughing a lot when, when I'm just going with the story. I'm like, this guy, poor guy. You know, I had, I had my issues. I'm, I'm being all empathetic. But then when you said you got a year of special ed. Yeah, I was, a, I was at a place called the Diagnostic Learning Center for a year. And I was surrounded by kids that were honestly in special ed. They needed to be okay. in special ed, special ed. I I had to ride the little yellow bus. I had to do all that shit. And I'm like people are these kids were, you know, trusting in me cuz 
these, all right, here's the thing about special ed kids. Yeah, they I can want tell, to get into that, so I'm glad you're talking about. They it. can tell when someone's actually when someone actually belongs there. At least back in the '80s, they could actually tell these kids actually knew. Like Jeremy, Jer, nothing wrong with Jeremy. <laughs> Jer, Jeremy's faking it. He likes all the pudding and the Jello that he's getting. Cause that's all he Would is. You, you, you were a baller. You must have been like. It, it's like somebody really smart in prison who's the baller of the cell. Yeah. I mean that that's I, that could have been you. That's exactly who I was. I, I would swindle these kids out of their Jello and their <laughs> and their puddings, and we watched that damn di- claymation dinosaur video all the damn time. This is the only thing that kept us quiet. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I got. I, I want to talk about that because, um, you know, I. I remember when you and I were doing the podcast with Jenna, and, I, and I'm excited to hear more about Jenna. Uh-huh. Uh, I've been doing a lot of listening to the R word. Uh-huh. And the reason why is because the R word, like the hashtag Me Too movement, like the G word, like the N word, there's certain words that only certain cultures can say. There was a time, I remember, when there were words that, like the R word, the C word, all kinds of words that you can't say no matter what. Mm-hmm. At least not on air, like George Carlin says. Yeah. And there's certain words that you can't say no matter what because it's socially insensitive, racially insensitive. But now it's got to a point where we've gone one more, we've, we've parlayed that into now only certain cultures can do it. Yeah. And Joe Rogan was talking about on his podcast, on his YouTube channel, there was this famous rapper and he's out in the South, mainly white people, mainly you know, white dudes, white girls, which are white people, I guess, you know, uh-huh. of course. And he's talking, and, and then... He gets this girl up on stage with him. I've seen the clip. Okay. And they said, well, you can't ask somebody who's one of your fans and you're vibing you up your there. song out. Yeah, if you're, I mean, it's kind of like a setup. Yeah. You can't do that. And so there's the N-word. So I want to talk about all these things because I've noticed that lately, and I'm only using the hashtag Me Too movement as an example. It seems like there's certain things that, if it's a younger generation or some generation, it seems like this, there's this, there's this, misunderstanding and their pursuit to be socially, politically correct, you know, you're throwing out the baby with the baby water. Mm-hmm. You know, and so let's talk about the R word. You know, a lot of comedians, like Bill Burr still drops the R word a lot. George Carlin drops it a lot in his time. I grew up with the P word, Pollock, the R word, retard. It was never meant as a racial slur because as little kids, you don't think of it as a racial slur. You think of it as just a word. Or Pollock and, we did. Okay. <laughs> like, okay. Well, I didn't know that. I mean, I'm tan. I'm hearing the word. I don't know what Pollock meant. Polish people. I, th- I remember the Archie Bunker show. Yeah. I thought Pollock meant somebody's being ridiculous. It's just another word for moron. Really? That's what I thought. Well, see, moron comes from moors. It was a it was a, a, a slur versus for people for people from Turkey. Dude, you're fucking intelligent. Let me ask you this then. How come nobody is protecting the morons? I'm going to do a bit on, I'm going to do a bit What are you, a humpback? What are you, a moron? Oh, do I got to start protecting humpbacks now? You know, is Notre, is Notre Dame going to be upset with me because they got a legend with the, I mean, or, or morons, how come no one's talking about that? I mean, do you, do you see where I'm coming from? Yeah, I understand perfectly. Like, that's why I speak freely. I don't, I don't give a shit. Like, I'm, I'm too old and too good at comedy to give a shit. Uh, to, to, uh, people that are offended like you're going to break some eggs and these people aren't paying me for my stand-up anyway out here i don't give a shit like who's offended like so let's take a little break because now we're kind of moving into some territory yeah, that some yeah, yeah. certain comedians have commented on uh you're here of vlad youtube 
the, the guy Vlad TV yeah Vlad TV uh -huh. the guy's the guy's in, I, I'm always impressed with the fact that he's never on camera but his people are yeah I think that's a cool way to go so I was gonna do that to you but I thought let me get some subscribers first so I can have somebody watching <laughs> you but I like how when he was interviewing D.L. Hewley he said the exact same thing you said when Vlad asked D.L. Hewley about Kevin Hart Step down. He made some comments years ago about homophobic or homosexuals. Or oh, that's just chicken coming home to roost there. Oh, okay. So, and Dio Julius said the same thing you said. I don't apologize to nobody. You don't give a shit. I see my mind. Yeah. I'm free. Go ahead, talk about, talk about that. No, see, here's the problem. All these comics in the 80s and the 90s, like these BET comics, right? They were all saying, like, even everybody's always said anti-gay comments, right? I haven't because I don't give a shit. I don't care enough to hate somebody. You have to care to really hate somebody. And I grew up around gay people and lesbians and bisexuals in the projects. So You don't care. Like, we, like okay, he's gay. Who cares? Like, let's move on, right? But there's this faction of black comics that really, like, because they're religious, they, they subscribe. <laughs> no, it's, it, that's where it comes from. Well, like, you know how ridiculous that sounds. Yeah. 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 Okay, but, you know. But because... <laughs> I mean, make it get into that. Yeah, we should go yeah. ahead. But because they, they, like, God didn't make this and... They do that. That's what they. That's what they go by. Sure, like sure. it's in the Bible. God, blah blah blah, and because of that, it's always been anti-gay shit throughout their career. Like I don't have a problem with gay people, but blah 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 blah. So there's a social programming. So there's this because I know like Steve Harvey, uh -huh. right? Bernie Mac. You got a lot of people who talk about uh, being raised in the South or being raised by Southern uh, cultured grandmas, or you know, yeah. there's this mentality where, you know, we. We fuck who we want during the week, but come Sunday, we're all holy again, mm -hmm. right? Which is no different than the white culture or a bunch of other cultures, right? Uh -huh. They sniff and they smoke and they drink whatever through the week, but at the end of the week, they got to go to church. And they all agree that unless you're in that religion or unless you're in the truth or in the way or in the light or you accepted Jesus' blood or however they want to incarnate your baptism into that faith, unless we're hating gays together, we're not the same. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So these comics, were they're on record. Like, you got to understand everything you're saying as a stand-up, if you put out a special and you said some anti-gay shit or anti-anybody shit, that shit's on record now. Like, you put that shit out. That came from your mouth. And all those people, like, you think Eddie Murphy's going to survive if he comes out doing another? They actually wanted Eddie Murphy. People were, like, rooting for Eddie Murphy to come out and do the Oscars. Like, did y'all not what? hear Raw? What? <laughs> did y'all not hear Delirious? Really? What's wrong with you people? How many times has he dropped the word faggot in there? Exactly. Countless times. It... Always happened. Yeah. One of his most famous bits was uh, what uh, Ralph Cramden getting fucked in the ass by <laughs> by some, by his old like I can't remember the other guy's name, but like that's one of his most famous bits, <sighs> and they wanted him like no nah, man you guys you guys have lost it, but all these people are like the chickens are coming home to roost. You can't you can't put that shit out there and then have regrets. Like you should have thought better. You should have thought ahead. I think far enough ahead where I'm like look. What's going to hurt my money? Like, when I'm 60 years old and I'm still doing this, and somebody says, hey, we have a problem with you going, uh, doing the things you do. I was like, what happened? What, what happened? Well, we heard your album, your very first album, I Have No Credits. And uh, you said something on there. And I was like, wait, that was, that was when I was in my 30s, man. That's not an excuse. Well, you, you, you can't, people are still talking about the Holocaust. That was, what, 70 years ago? That's not an excuse. You you don't get a buy, you're still a Nazi, dude. You know there's so much you're here to talk about. Do you think the, the, the Israelis or the Jews? Do you think they ever forgave Germany as a country? Hell no. 
Hell no! <laughs> exactly. You think Rihanna went ahead and forgave Chris Brown? Hell no! no. I mean, there's reasons why things happen, but as human beings, we're going to hold on to certain things. That's how we learn. We're scarred. It's a good thing. It's a self-protective mechanism. But I think that we're... Like, I st- like my son. Man, there's so much stuff we've been covering. <laughs> so my son's a big Fortnite guy. Okay. He's 11 years old. I play Fortnite on a regular basis with him. I suck. They're thinking about letting me in the clan, but I just can't meet the minimum score. <laughs> it's sad. I have to try so hard to get six kills. Like, my heart is. They're getting, like, 15 to 25. And uh, But I, I, I do it is because I want to know how he operates in a world where it's an environment suited for him. Him yeah. talking to his peers, you know, I his unplug. Right. How is he socially engaging? You know, what, what, are, how is he really processing on the inside and how does he express it on the outside? Because he is socially engaging with people that eventually will become his, his fellow adult peers and this influences him, peer pressure, all this. I basically have like the secret peeping hole into his world because I'm there, but I unplug my mic so they don't know. And when they try talking to me, I just do a little dance. To yeah. say yes or no, and it's teaching me a lot about kids, and I teach kids classes for dancing too, and it and it just makes me think that, and George Carlin talked about this. You know, some people have this infatuation with their children, like child worship. They do everything for their kids, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking now we've gone the other way. Yeah. Now we've gone the other way, and I think when we let them do and be what they want, even though we're online, they'll start using the F word. They start dropping all kinds of curse words. And I'm there, and they just forgot that I was there for a while. Yeah. My son won't because he knows I'm there. Right. But his friends forget. And I'm thinking, I was 11 and 10, we were cussing. Yeah. I was 11 and 10, we were talking about sex. Yeah. I was 11 and 12, I can't wait to be a teenager. I think, and I, and I know it's going to come out wrong, I think that being politically correct is especially around kids, is like trying to tell them that Santa Claus still exists and that when you die, as long as you believe in Jesus, no matter how many bad things you did, you're going to go to heaven. I mean, Hitler, there's no way that guy could be in heaven. <laughs> and he was a Christian. Well, it dep- depends on if you uh, if you believe part, certain parts of Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Yeah, there's a part. Uh, uh, being an atheist, I've read the Bible. I've also read a bunch of other religious books. Uh, so if, there's certain parts of Jeremiah where there's a loophole. It is lots of loopholes in every book, yeah. especially if it's written by men, <laughs> let me tell you. But, I mean, we have so much good material to cover here. Let's go back to the R word. Let's go back to comedians okay. that are being apologetic. But I think having these conversations where we're not politically correct, I don't think comedians can be politically correct. When we grow up as kids, we make fun of what we don't understand or supposed, maybe we're intimidated about. You're supposed to speak truth to power. And when you speak truth to power, you can't be correct. Like, you can't be, like, you can't dance around it. You have to, like, that, that was the, that was the, the, the job of the jester. The job of the jester back in the feudal days was to speak truth to power. Like, you're making fun of the king, but you're trying to make the king laugh, but you also have to tell the king, like, hey, you're kind of a jackass. These people are starving out here. Like, that's our job. We're jesters. We're supposed to be true to the power. See, you, you're, you're right along the same vibe I'm on because I was, you know, I was listening to what some of my favorite comedians talk about when they say things and they, they always end in a fashion like that where they say, we're just jokesters. These are just jokes. We're comedians. Don't take it seriously. But yet, the old German proverb says that there's a lot of truth in jest. Yeah. And I like what you said, that it's almost our human obligation, responsibility, or our wiring that when we see something that's funny, it's funny because it shouldn't be like that. 
Mm-hmm. It's like we're going out of our way to be a moron or to be ridiculous. Uh-huh. You know, you see people trying these crazy things in parkour or, you know, fat white <laughs> chicks getting drunk and they fall down and ridiculous and they get hurt and like minions, we laugh at it. No, see that, but that's punching down. You know what's really funny? Watching your mom fall down. Like when your mom falls on her ass and she's like, oh, Jesus, right? <laughs> so that's like, you laugh at her. You know you shouldn't be laughing at your mom. That's your mom. You love your mom. Yeah, yeah. But, but we're not we're not laughing at her in, in, in spite. Right, but that's that's the truth to power. Like, hey mom, you're human too. That's what you do. That's 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 part of the joke. Like watching people that are stupid hurt themselves. Like, all right, fine. That's you can giggle at that. But when you watch somebody smart hurt themselves, watch somebody that you admire hurt themselves, and they do it in the dumbest possible way. You just reminded me of Kevin Spacey, where he went out of her way to he went out of his way at this party to grow up this young actor, yeah. and now he's facing charges, and now yeah. his shit's out about, oh yeah, his brother's doing a podcast, putting him out, throwing him under the bus, saying, oh yeah, he was molested by his dad, our father, and he grew to be fond of it, and now he does the same thing. I'm basically, you know, <laughs> capsulizing. This is not verbatim. You can go to the podcast. Yeah. To any podcast on YouTube or anybody's channel and get more information on this. But I, I do think, and I do agree with what you're saying, I think we have to laugh at the good and the bad. Like, old people falling down, it takes a long time when they're fighting, especially. It's funny <laughs> as hell. they their legs up and shit. <laughs> or, or, or when you see fat people trying to jump or do something funny and they miss and they bounce. They do bounce. They do roll. They're not hurting themselves. I think it's hilarious. These are people that volunteer to do something. We found it funny. We don't mean ill will on them. We don't want them to get hurt. But if somebody goes out of their way to say something stupid, do something in the past that they may or may not regret later, how can you not make fun out of at it, and how can you not dissect it that way? Because that's friendly for everybody. There was a kid when I first moved out here. In, well, I moved out here for the first time in 2002. Then I went back to Illinois. But when I was in 2002, I lived in Downey, right? And I used I'll, to live there. Right. So I'm walking down the street, and there's this kid on crutches. Like, he had to be, like, 11 or 12 years old, and he's walking towards me. And I kid you not, he's looked up and saw me. I had my beard, had my, like, my whole afro, huge afro at the time. And the kid looked up at me. Keep in mind, he's 11, 12 years old, 7, 8. I, I want to put seven between 7 and 8 years, 7 and 11 years old. And he looked up at me, and he saw me, and he tried to cross the street, right? Because, you know, you see this 6-foot-tall, 200 I do that in Vegas every time yeah. I see somebody like you at, <laughs> right. at 2 o'clock in the morning by myself. Right, you see this huge black guy coming towards you. And, and he's not smiling. Right. I'm, I'm just walking down the street rapping. Like, I got fucking DMX in my head. <laughs> like, I love DMX. So, but, you know, you can't be barking at, like, walking down the street. So he, he's on his crutches and he tries to cross the street and he failed. And I knew, what he, I knew he was trying to get away Did from me. Did you laugh? Hell yeah, I laughed at his ass. <laughs> like, dude, I ain't doing nothing to you, man. <laughs> it's like, I'm just walking down the street. I'm minding my own business. So, I, like, did I help him up? No, I kept walking. <laughs> like I just kept kept walking, appointed, laughed, walked on by, like because fucking have some confidence in yourself, kid. Like don't don't try. So, to so you're saying take a shot and roll the dice at an ass whooping, but you're gonna live the next day, or walk across the street and just gamble that you're you or know. just trusted some. Not everybody's out to get you. Not everybody's trying to push some little kid around, like. I'm rapping DMX songs. You can't take me seriously. Now, if you were a famous rap artist or LeBron James or Michael Jordan walking the street. He would ask for us, like, uh, if I was at, at all famous, sir, can I have your, he wouldn't even know my name. Sir, can I have your autograph? But no, nah, I'm just random black person. He needs to cross the street. If Fuck he, that kid. 
If he, if he was gay, would he would he Michael Jackson you? No, not at all. Okay, I'm just, <laughs> I, I'm just saying because you know it's quite a time we're living in. We have all these white kids, Asian kids, emulating. My son's that too. My son's a little guy. He's blonde hair. You know, he doesn't look like my kid. His mom is white, and she's cool too. And you know, he loves LeBron James, and he loves especially PG thirteen. Uh, Paul George. I don't. I don't know these things that he uh-huh. does. He loves KD, and uh, I see it all over America. You got non-black kids wearing and emulating the gear, wanting to be like their sports athletic celebrities. That's and, happened forever, though. That's been happening since since people were singing "Hide It, Hide It, Hide It Ho." You know? Yeah, but but back in the day with Heidi 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 Ho, if you were caught wearing anything like that in most of America, especially the South, your dad would put a whooping on you. Now they just go out and march with tiki's to let you know they still exist. But but <laughs> they still putting a whooping on you, by the way. They just gonna go march afterwards. Like my son is being corrupted. I had to beat him the other day because he's corrupted. He saw him out with a black friend, and I don't trust that black person. You know, we were supposed to be talking about the R word, and and through. No, 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 I'm saying this because then we got into uh, comedians not being apologetic, and how the whole PC thing needs to be re-examined, and how, and we're gonna get back to the R word because yeah. that's part of. But you just you're saying so many things that are just firing here. LeBron James, <laughs> Jimmy Kimmel, um, uh, Ice Cube, um, uh, Chris Bosh, uh-huh. um, and a rapper, and Nas. Um, and, and and another fine lady, and I'm saying that because I don't want anybody to get mad at me because I don't mention the girl. There was a lady on there too. She's, I don't know who she was, but she's obviously very famous. I don't know if a producer, rapper. But they were at the barbershop, and they're all talking. And I thought it was Jimmy Kimmel was there, and they're getting haircuts. LeBron said something that I thought was very powerful. <clears throat> he said that they still copy us. They copy our style. They copy our rap. They copy our clothing. They copy our moves. But they still have that slave mentality. And he was talking about the culture here in America, and he's talking about also the owners of the NFL and some of the NBA, mm-hmm. how they still think that it's a slave mentality, it's our way, or we're trading you like a piece of commodity. Mm-hmm. And then you're talking about people crossing the street. Talk, talk about all that. I think that's, that's, that's very interesting, from your point of view especially. All right, so my point of view is this. Like, as much as they copy us, we still copy them. That's the funniest part. Everybody's like, hey, they stole from us. Like, I just mentioned how they hide it, hide it, ho, right? That's Cap Calloway. How was he wearing his hair? He was wearing his hair slicked back like a white person. Just like Malcolm X. Right? Because you need to you need to blend in. You're trying to cross over. Like, that's it's just what happened. Like white girl white white girls are getting butt injections to, you know, have bigger butts like black and Latin women. But what are we what are white white uh, white what are black women doing? They're getting hair weaves to have their hair long and silky. And the cream to lighten their skin. Yeah, they're doing all that. Everybody's still, we're still trying to emulate each other. It's not one doing the other. It's one, both doing both. Like, that's, it's part of the melting pot that is, I guess, America. That is this world. Like, it's something that'll never change because everybody's trying to figure out a way to be the most beautiful person because they actually give a shit what other people think about them. Like, until you stop giving a shit what everybody thinks, then you don't have to be, you can be yourself. As soon as you stop giving a shit. <laughs> that reminds me, that reminds me of how, um, when I watched the movie Shallow Hell, I thought that was me. <laughs> because I was in the Baldwin world, and it's all about beauty and art, and it's just, and it's just a bunch of divas who are extremely, extremely insecure, uneducated, uh-huh, and ignorant. Uh-huh. 
and uh, and you get caught up in that, right? And I'm not those type of people, so I really had to force myself to get into that and brainwash myself to get into that. But then I watched the movie Shallow Hell, and I was like, oh, crap, that's me, you know? <laughs> and I thought... Looking around for Tony Robbins, huh? Oh, no, all, all of a sudden, when I was like, I can let go of that. I don't have to play that role anymore, especially when I got older. <laughs> I was like, no, I feel happy and at peace about dating unattractive women. I really thought... Dating unattractive women? Yeah. I was like, who cares what people think? I know on the inside, she's beautiful. And at 2.30 in the morning, with my clapper, everybody looks the same. That's what I was saying. Oh, you still fucking with the lights off, huh? <laughs> not anymore, I mean, uh, back yeah. then. Well, not as much because now at my age, their vision isn't as good. <laughs> so I don't have to feel intimidated when you know, I, I show my junk. Because that's ultimately, when you think about it, that's what every man is scared of, is that their wife or their girl is going to say, oh, my ex was uh, upgraded or my ex was uh, had more options than you or, you know, I've been around and... I'm not, uh, I'm not afraid of that. <laughs> and I'm, and now that we got the monkey in the room or the elephant in the room, I mean, now that we've acknowledged that, I've been wanting to acknowledge that for a long time. I am the sidekick. I'll never be the big gun here. <laughs> yeah, that's a... I guess that's the other thing, one of the many things I'm known uh, known for, is that uh, I, I used to send dick pictures to my friends. I remember. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. No, uh, no, it's not. Yeah, it's, it's not a beautiful thing. I don't want to know. I don't want to imagine it's, that. It's a lovely thing. Uh, do, you know, do you know that uh, I was watching a YouTube video years ago, and they were talking about how uh, black male stereotypes started, and it was obviously in the South, uh -huh. by the owners. They didn't want their women to have sex with them. And, I, and so they created these stories where, like, all these guys are getting high on marijuana, they're the devil incarnate, and all they want to do is rape our women. Uh -huh. And so that's where this whole, you know, this whole hatred <laughs> stemmed from. And ironically enough, you know, when you watch, not that I do, but I heard, when you watch porn, because <laughs> uh, <clears throat> it's only free within certain hours, so, you know, they tell uh -huh. me that uh, that is one of the most viewed uh, porn options out there, yeah. is men with big black cocks banging big white women. Or little Asian ladies, or, or not 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 other black women. No, hardly ever. Other hardly women. ever. They just want to see. So I saw these three guys. They look like NFL players. Just tear this one little <laughs> Japanese lady apart. After watching it like two or three hundred times, I was like, I'm convinced she's a trooper. She doesn't like it. She's a damn champion. But you know, she's not a quitter. She's gonna see it through the end. You know why? Because that check got to clear. <laughs> like, when you watch porn, just real like I have, I have a number of friends that are doing pornography. A lot of friends that do pornography. That was one. That was that was one of my questions. Right. Like, why is America so much into porn? Go keep going. Right. So I like I have friends that are in pornography, right? And it's a job. It's a job, and to get your check, you have to finish that scene, right? So if your job is to show up and there are three dudes on set, and you got to fuck all three dudes. Because that check is, you know, $1,500 to $2,000. You're going to fuck all three dudes. They got you for two two to eight to ten hours, right? So they you need to finish that scene. All three dudes got to come. That, that's harder than stand-up comedy, I think. Yeah, and those three dudes might not get hard. How does that, <laughs> how does that not mess you up? I don't understand that. Like, all these people, it, like, have a life afterwards, and they turn it, into Christianity, they become reverends. And... No, it's... Because this is their job, this is how they're looking at it. This is their job. This is the quickest way for them to accomplish what they want to do, right? Some people work day jobs and get 401ks and, 
You know, they try to save up enough. They save up $200,000 so that they can move to Arizona and buy a house and live the rest of their lives in comfort, right? Well, these people that do porn, they're working, you know, I, I got a friend, her name's Vanessa. She, she That's her stage name, by the way, not her real name. Uh, <laughs> her name's Vanessa, and she, she does porn because she wants to buy a house, right? She wants to buy a house. That's next to me. Right. She wants to buy a house and live in comfort now. Cause if you can make, you know, let's say ten grand in a month, ten grand in a month, that's a house in the Midwest. You can buy a house in the Midwest for that. And then you drive back and forth or fly back and forth, and everything you make after that is cake. Like you can live a great life. So so basically you're saying that they're just whoring out their time. We all are. God damn it, you took my line. Because you were supposed to say something <laughs> shocking that I was going to say. But how is that any different from any other position where we're trading away because our we, hours for we money? We on this shit. That's why. Damn, you're I, good. I took your line because we agreed. Damn. I didn't even know that was your line. Damn, you're good. Listen, <laughs> I, 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 you said it earlier. We're, we're, joke, we're jesters. We're jokesters. You know, it's our job to give power to truth. And I want to say, why, why comedy? Like, you've been doing it for a while now. Why are you still doing it? All right, so... People aren't going to believe this, right? But, I like that. Uh, but I do stand-up for a weird and nefarious reason. Uh-oh. All right. This is mind control. You get this? You get what I'm saying? This is stand-up the comedy. The original social media influencers, right? Right. Well, no, this is... Stand-up comedy is the most purest form of mind control. It's like hypnotism, but without without being a pervert. Right, so like, like when you're a stand-up comic, you're up there and you're saying some of the weirdest and sometimes dumbest and sometimes deepest things possible, unfiltered. Right, and people don't know if you're serious or not, but they're laughing, and they don't want to laugh at these things, but they're laughing. We make you laugh. You don't do that on your own. We we're doing that to you. This is mind control. Like, I'm controlling your behavior. I have ultimate control over people. This is the most, seriously, nefarious thing you can do. This is the most evil thing you can do in life is be a stand-up comic. Because you control people's behavior. You know, your aura has changed all of a sudden. <laughs> I know, but this is... like All of a sudden, you seem a lot bigger. <laughs> yeah, like, no, this is... But this is what life is. Like, this is why, my... Why, why are you compelled to induce reactions from people... Well, know, in this control platform. Well, if you can control people's behavior, you can. If you can control a massive amount of people's behavior, right? Preachers do this, right? Church do this. Dictators. Like, dictators do this. If you can do this, then you can possibly change the world if you get big enough, and then you can remold people's behavior into something you see fit. You can say, okay, look, like this. Okay, it's how you should live. I like I like where it's going. Okay, because now we're getting back to a humanitarian cause. Uh-huh. What if you had only one good? If you had, if you had only one good bit, one good rant, if you could just riff one time, and you were gonna die the next day, uh-huh. but the magical fairy said it would be your most amazing riff ever. It might be the best in the world. It will outdo Pryor and Carlin and Hicks. It will be something that people will commemorate and still look back to. It will change comedy forever. And it will improve humanity in this category. And you can choose the category. Mm-hmm. Right? You're the sacrificial lamb. Right? Uh-huh. You want to make it count? What would it be? What is that 
thing that you want to change or what is that one adjustment you want to see in humanity? The one huge adjustment that I want to see in humanity. Just one. You can only pick one. Mm. All right, because there's a, there's a joke that I've been working on, and my friend James, my friend James, he'll, he could attest to this. Uh, it's a joke I've been working on for the better part of 11 years. I can't get it to work. I can't. It is, it's my coup de gras. <laughs> so I want this shit to work so badly. But it's worked maybe twice in the 11 years that I've done it. Right? Uh, it's called World's Biggest Killer. Where the ultimately, it, where the, like the penultimate. You're just a, you're just a fuzzy and warm guy. Why yeah. Don't you go ahead. But, but the, Mr. Nefarious. <laughs> but the, but the, the, the penultimate part of it is that this guy, in a, this character in this story, throws himself into a volcano because people wouldn't accept this art right but this guy was also like had he been just accepted for his art everyone would have had the cure for all the diseases in the world <laughs> like but people couldn't accept his art that he worked on one hour a day right okay but what what I'm trying to say here is that our level of acceptance of other people's eccentricities, right? The fact that we feel the need to comment on every single thing that everybody does, that's got to change. If we can stop like thinking that our, our opinions matter on somebody else's way of dress or someone's way of style or someone's way of speech, someone... If we if we can stop that, that changes so much about this world. You know how many times I get called out my name, like somebody like comment. I I've ra- I rail against this all the time on Facebook, but no matter where I go, because I have an afro, no other reason because I'm black and have an afro, I get called everyone that's black and has an afro. Like hey Questlove, hey Buckwheat, hey uh, Ben Wallace. I love hey, Questlove. Yeah, but. Like, there's no similarities. There's no similarities. I don't hey, see similarities at yeah, all. Hey, Don King. Like, mother, do I look like a 75-year-old man that was once in prison for shooting some dude on his lawn? I've been in four orgies, goddammit. Like, like, do I look like Questlove, who is a large, he's a very large black dude, has an afro? I'm surprised he's still alive. Yeah, he's a, like... I, Philly cheesesteaks, uh, they, they keep you alive. Uh, they they preserve the shit out of you. Yeah, but, uh, I mean... Like, I don't look like a small black kid. I'm not buckwheat. No. I'm not in black and white. What? Why Why do you think they do that? Is that because... They do that because that's all they... That's what they know is funny. They have no original... People normally don't have original thought. That's why comics, the good ones, we're always so pissed when somebody steals our stuff. We're like... You have no original thought. Let me, let me, now I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Uh-huh. Let, let's, let's put you in a time machine to okay. try the social experiment. Okay. Because I totally dig where you're coming from, and I don't want to go ahead and regurgitate or reiterate on it because I think we all know where you're coming from. Yeah. Let's put you in a time machine. You're now <clears throat> uh, 21 years old, and you got stuck in time, and you're back on uh, Bali, and in Bali, the... They are playing black and white TV only, and the little rascals are constantly being played. Uh-huh. And all the kids there 
are autistic and they all love the little rascals. So they watch the little rascals. Uh-huh. And we're talking about autism kids between the ages of 9 and 21. Okay. Now, they've never seen a black person before. You show up because you, you got popped into the wrong era in the wrong city. Your machine didn't work. And they look at you and they're intrigued because they've never seen someone like you. You're stuck there while you're trying to fix the machine. You're there for three months and they get to know you and they like you. But they call you Buckwheat because they can't say English and they think of you as that character and they don't know how to name you. Is there any malice, bad intention, evil thoughts, racism, ill will or spite of any kind behind how they gave you a nickname? After the first time, when I tell them, don't say that, there's other black people on, on the Little Rascals. And they keep saying it, then it's ill will. Then it's disrespect. But, but they're autistic. They don't know what disrespect means. You teach them. I've yeah, been around autistic kids. You can teach autistic kids. But do you understand that they saw something that they had nothing to do it's with? association. I understand what you're saying. But what you do is you have to change the association. You have to teach people how to change. People can be taught just like they learned buckwheat from the little rascals. They can learn other black people. So what you're saying is just because they come from a good place, just because they don't know any better, and just because... You know, no one's there and no one will ever be there to teach them any difference. Doesn't mean that your perception and your place in the world doesn't have to compromise. Right. Because you also have a legitimate claim to saying, hey, this is the way I want to be treated. Exactly. Everybody wants to be treated a certain way. Well, it's just like you meet a rapper in public. He doesn't want you to call him Clifford. Like if he wants you to say, hey, Method Man. Right. Well, we know his real name. Like, do you want to call DMX DMX or do you want to call him Earl? With now we're getting to some really meat stuff. I like stuff like this. Is that because the artist wants to be recognized for their talent and that's the identity they want to be associated with, or is it because they don't want to be? They don't want to feel like someone else made a decision on who their identity is. They want to be able to create their own identity on their own terms. And, and is that more important to them? Well, their public their public persona is Method Man, is DMX is LL Cool J. Their public persona is what they want to be known as in public. Well, in public, my name Big is... Big boy? Yeah. I wasn't right. going to do that on a black guy. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, my public persona is I'm Jeremy Paul. Oh. That's my name. Real name, no gimmicks. Jeremy Paul. So call me Jeremy Paul. I make it known that my name is Jeremy Paul. Everywhere I go, I'm Jeremy Paul. So if you, can, if you want to call me something else, you're disrespectful. Why should I take anything you say seriously? You're calling me out my fucking name. And I, you know my name. And if you don't know my name, I'll tell you my name. Just say, hey, what's your name? Don't say, hey, Buckwheat. Now I got to beat you up. So um, just to let you know, I love Buckwheat. I'll never call you that. Just to <laughs> let you know, I, I thought he was hilarious. Um, but when what about Stymie? Did you like Stymie? Um, I actually like, I did like Stymie. I, I liked all of them. Okay, well, see, that's the difference. Like, a lot of people say, hey, Buckwheat, they don't even know the rest of the Little Rascals. Like, until they, until people saw the movie uh, that had Whoopi Goldberg in it, the, the second Little Rascals, right? People didn't even know most of the Little Rascals in the, in the last 20 years, right? People don't realize that the current president was in one of the Little Rascal movies. So, like, we, we sit there and we everybody's like, hey, man, you look like blah, blah, blah. Well, I can't, I can't take you seriously at all because you have no original thought. 
Well, I totally agree with everything you're saying, and especially right now, if anything like that was to happen, and when you're describing when it happened back then, the second coming of the Little Rascals. Whenever I refer to the Little Rascals, I'm thinking I'm seven years old. I just moved back to California. I was born here, and then at three and a half, went to Mexico. I was there for four years, came back. So I'm watching black and whites of the original right. Little Rascals, right. and I'm and I know Weezer, and and you know the uh, Blake. Uh, what's his name? The one who killed his wife? Well, supposedly. Yeah, that was Blake. Yeah. So you know. And I read the stories on how these guys ended up. You know, one's an alcoholic and tried to get back and eventually uh -huh. died of bad health. And the other one was stabbed, I think, uh, or maybe shot over a horrible gambling death because he had an attitude, alfalfa, nobody liked him. Yeah. These guys all ended up bad. Yeah. But I always reference it back from a place when I was seven years old and I'm learning English again and I'm learning American culture or the programming there of what we're supposed, we're supposed <laughs> to think there. But I see where you're coming from. And my ultimate point is this. When I'm around... Black dudes, I think they're the coolest guys. And we all, I have a joke that in my next life, I want to be LeBron James because I admire what he is representing. He has a platform, he's talking about it. Michael Jordan doesn't do it, Magic Johnson doesn't do it, Dr. J doesn't do it, LeBron is doing it. What I'm saying is, I think every culture has something amazing to offer. And when he said that, you know, we're copied all the time and they love our music and they love, and I'm totally right. I think we live in a time where, maybe thanks to the internet, you know, we can compare what we're saying. And I just feel that from my observation, if you tell some white guy, you know, or imply, like a, like this white guy sits at the poker table, I say something that's kind of, kind of funny, but it's kind of a dig at him because he's nerdy looking, and he says, "Oh, I see. Make fun of the only white nerdy guy at the table," mm -hmm. and then he made me feel bad. I'm like, "Homeboy's right," <laughs> because if I, I wouldn't do that to a black guy, I wouldn't do it to an Asian guy, uh -huh. I wouldn't do it to a Mexican guy, because all of us have never been given, the exclusive right to determine what our identity is it's always been about lashing back having to rebel back at what you guys think of us is wrong and anytime and so we're ultra sensitive we're hyper vigilant when anybody tries to say something or addresses in a way where it it attacks or compromises our identity who in my opinion every culture struggles like the israels struggle really hard to say this is what we really are compared to what you really think it is but you do it to a white person they you know they kind of let it go off the shoulder, they don't, they're not as uptight about it, but I think it's because they don't have to be, right? They don't have to be. They're always portrayed as the good guys. Even the bad guys are the cool guys when you're wearing white, dude. Like, look at Darth Vader, you know? <laughs> all, right, all right, so two things. Uh, number one, LeBron James is going to have the most crowded body uh, known to man because everybody wants to come back as LeBron James. Uh, number two. <laughs> John Malkovich has nothing on him. Yeah, no, he's, there's going to be a whole lot of people inside of LeBron James. I guess literally and figuratively. Uh, so, but that was magic. Go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> I I didn't say it, but I appreciate it. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> so, but the other thing is, uh, I forgot your second point. Shit. <laughs> Damn it. The identity uh, having hyper vigilant. We're so sensitive about. All right. Well, as far as like the sensitivity of everybody goes, right? We're people want a certain amount of decorum, right? Of socially. And they should be allowed that. But they also have to give that. But after that certain amount, people are starting, like now, I guess this is where the, the PC culture uh, conversation would come in. That now people are demanding more from everybody. Where they don't deserve it. Because they're not even given that. Right? Like, I... When you say people, who who are these people? You got, you can say people from the ages of 30 on down. And then 
the ages of 60 on up. Like, between 30 and 60-year-olds, we don't care. We have other shit to do. But those 30 on down, 60 on up, they really care. Because 60 on up don't want to change. 30 on down want everybody to change. Then there's this, there's us in the middle who are like, hey, we could change for some of this, but some of this, the other stuff you're talking about is just stupid. Like, why are you demanding? There's a friend of mine. Uh, you don't know her. But she's transgender, right? Uh, she gets mad at everybody that misgenders her, right? That's, that's what people call it, misgendering, right? Okay. Now, my friend, I've met when she was a dude. I love my friend. Good person, right? And now she's a she. Yeah, she's a she. So I'm able to say she's a she. Yeah. A lot of people haven't been able to break them into programming. No. Because they don't know, right? But she gets depressed now because people misgender her still. Like, well, you kind of still like like you did 10 years ago. I, like, you've gotten more feminine, but you still look like yourself. You can't get mad that people can't tell the difference yet. Like our friend Jenna, I met when she was half, like at least, what, 90% still woman. She still look like a, still looks like a chick, is a woman. Got the plumbing fixed and everything. But I, I didn't meet Jenna out, outside of knowing her as Jenna. You know how funny that sounds? She got the plumbing fixed and everything, but I didn't meet her until... Like, no, I did I, I met Jenna when she was known as Jenna. I didn't meet Jenna. I didn't baloney her until that's, that's, that's what I was thinking. I didn't meet her. I didn't pepperoni yeah. Jenna. After that plumbing, I didn't I, expect where the meat worked. I, I didn't I, tube I, steak yeah. Jenna. Yeah. No. Oh, hilarious. like we, but we, we used to talk about. Yeah, yeah, but we meet people, like, and we, you have to break the association. My friend that I I met, I knew for years, right, but. Now, on a day I'm supposed to change, people can't do that. It takes years for people to say, all right, this is a woman. This is a woman. This is a woman. Refer to her as she. Refer to her as she. It takes years for people to do that. Just like people, it takes years for people to learn your name. like Or at least months of prep, like uh, repetition. So, like it takes a long time to stop using the R word, right? Or start stop using I, the gay word, right? Like I, if you come from that culture, right? Yeah. If you choose to right. change something, it takes months. And I agree with you. Sometimes I think, and I'm not picking on the transgender community, but I'm saying any community who wants to be recognized for more and wants to go ahead and, you know, <clears throat> break away and escape away and hold people accountable right. from the negative things that are said when they're stereotyped. I get that. But I think, like you said, there has to be some sort of a, of a threshold where we meet in the middle, right? Where, you know, I'm not perfect, I'm flawed, I'm sometimes going to go back to my old habits, I'm trying to change. But understand that it was never done to say that you're worse than I, or your class is worse than I, or your humanity is, you know, less valuable, means less than mine. Yeah. You know, like a slave trader. That, it never, I don't, I, at least on the West Coast, I don't think it comes from that. I think it just comes from the people, there's some group out there that is insisting on wanting, they're throwing tantrums, everything, they don't hear things the way they want to hear. Yeah. And you know who does that? Super old racist people and, and dumb, ignorant children, like yeah. four or five. Those are the, those are, that's the mentality or the mindset of people that throw uh, tantrums when they don't hear what they want to hear right away. Exactly. And that's what I'm saying. Like, it, there's a lot of people that they'll, they'll disagree with 
almost everything that I've said today, right, on this podcast. And I'm not done. We're nowhere near done, right? Like, I'm of the opinion that, like, unless you're willing to change yourself, don't ask other people to change. Like, can you stop doing things uh, that you're doing? When someone says, hey, this affects me, please stop doing that. No, you're not going to stop because this is what you do, right? Am I supposed to stop? Like, what do I do that offends me? Am I supposed to stop going to strip clubs because other people think that's perverted? No, like, you smoke and drink. I think that's wrong. So so you said something that was very interesting. You said, um, you're asking me to change, but... How can I change if you're not willing to change? Yeah. Okay. And that, you know what I thought exactly of? What? Women and the hashtag Me Too movement. <laughs> and let, me, let me tell you why. The hashtag Me Too movement is about women saying, or basically any individual saying, I should not be taken advantage of sexually or manipulated, right, in order for me to go ahead. I don't want to be taken advantage of, right? I don't want to compromise for you sexually, fulfill your perversions, because I am a human being and I matter and I have feelings. And Okay, I get all that. But you're basically saying that you want to enter, in this particular case, you want to enter a market, an industry that's been the same, it's been a predatory, it's been a predatory environment for as long as I can remember, and everybody talks about this. You're basically telling Hollywood, I want you to change. You know what Hollywood's saying back? Well, are you going to change? Because you're not, because you're willing to bend over, give a blowjob, do a handjob, and maybe not you specifically, but the rest of your sisters, or the rest of these starving or thriving or struggling actresses or models, what I'm saying is there's millions of people out there that are willing to go and take a shot in the face if they're going to get behind the camera because that's, that is the humanity or mindset that we are. How are you going to ask one to change if the other's not going to change? All right, so here's the thing. Uh, that's not what the Me Too movement is. Okay, sorry. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I think it is. Uh, the, the whole Me Too movement is like was based off of people being sympathetic towards rape victims victims of molestation and victims victims of sexual violence. That's what the Me Too movement That's how is. it started. Right. But that's, like, those of us that actually support it, that's what we support. Like, hey, I'm with you. I understand you. Like, I, I empathize and I sympathize with what you're going through, what you went through, and what you're trying to overcome in your life. Why do we need a hashtag to talk about something that's been happening for a long time? That's basically we're basically saying no to rape. How 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 is putting it on a hashtag platform all of a sudden bring further identity to it? That's ridiculous. Because it's still happening. Like people people want to deny that it's still happening and it's still happening. No, I understand that, but there's lots of things that are still happening, right? Tax fraud is still happening, right? Uh-huh. Uh, ch- children's slavery is still happening, right? Uh-huh. But Hollywood didn't get behind that. What I'm, the people that I'm talking no, they, about are the they, women that use that hashtag movement and uh-huh. and now elevated it to destroy what's called uh, uh, t- toxic masculinity uh-huh. and, you know, the, the PC correctness in in, the, in an environment where, where women are predominant. You know who Ben Shapiro is? Who? Ben Shapiro. I've heard the name. He's got a, a great show. He's got a great podcast. He's very famous. Great YouTube channel, the whole thing. You know what he says? That he has stopped allowing... He's got a policy in his company, in his office. He doesn't allow hugging to happen because it's too much of a sensitive... Uh, gesture where any woman can say, you touched me in the back the wrong way, I'm going to see you now. I mean, that that's how, that's how crazy things have gotten because everyone thinks that the hashtag MeToo movement is about uh, 
what I was talking about earlier, protecting themselves, in my opinion, in a world where you really can't do that because you're you're choosing to enter something. You're choosing to enter the Hollywood scene. You're choosing to enter the office. And if you choose to sleep with your boss to, to get one up, how is it different from anybody else doing the same thing around the world? Well, see, I'm of the opinion that you shouldn't be hugging anybody in a business environment anyway. I agree. I agree. Right? Because this is business. It's not, hey, let me let me touch you. No, like, shake my hand. Tell me what the business is. Like, if you're going to hug somebody, that's that's on you. Uh, if it's inappropriate, that's still on you because you should have extended your hand for a handshake in the first place. So, like, that's that's a whole other beast in and of itself. That's interpretation. But that's part of, like, com- the first comic that successfully gets people to understand, like, you shouldn't touch some- somebody that doesn't want to be touched. The first person that actually gets everybody on board will be named the greatest comic of all time. Why? Because people still haven't figured out, don't touch people that don't want to be touched. Do you know how retarded that sounds? By retarded, I mean autistic, because I remember teaching autistic kids, and these are like, there's like 12, little, maybe 8 little boys, and they're all between the ages of like uh, 9 and 12, and you know what they did? They, they didn't communicate much. They ran around the entire room. I tried getting order. They didn't pay attention. They took turns grabbing each other's nuts, uh-huh. grabbing each other's balls, grabbing each other's... And they looked at me, and I'm like, let him go. What are you doing? And they smile and think it's like the bonobo monkey. They think it's funnier than hell. <laughs> They're not thinking about going down on each other or, or sodomizing. They're thinking, this is funny. It's ridiculous. He doesn't like it, but he's laughing too. We're uh-huh. all laughing. And that's what I mean by that. We, we, we need a whole... We need, we need a stage and a microphone to tell people to stop touching each other like yeah. autistic people do? Yeah. Like retarded people do? Yeah. Do you, do you know how... Do you know how my mind is blowing up right now? How how ridiculous that sounds. It's a lesson that people still haven't learned. People that go to like school, etiquette school, they still haven't learned. Don't touch me. Leave me alone. One of my favorite comic book characters is incredible. He's actually my favorite fucking uh, comic book character ever is the Incredible Hulk. All the Incredible Hulk wants to be is left alone. But what happens? Somebody ends up fucking with the Incredible Hulk. No matter what. And then they get, like, their houses broken down, and they get thrown through a window, and they, they get beat up. And all this dude wants to be is left alone. And people haven't figured out, leave this fucking guy alone. He's a huge rage monster. Leave him alone. See, dude, now, now you're getting deep, because, you know, now you're reminding me that Stan Lee died. And, you know, he was uh, he was the guy responsible for for Marvel in a big case. And when, when I heard that, I actually Jack was... Kirby. More Jack they, they, than him. Though. You know, that's true, too, but they never mentioned the Jack Kirby part because Stan Lee was a promoter. What I'm saying is as a kid, I just remember Stan Lee, and yeah. so part of my childhood died when I heard that. Yeah, so did I. I piece, of, piece of Stan Lee's family, his daughter, who's probably spending up all his money right now. Uh, but other than that, uh, but what, like this goes back to when I was a, a kid in special ed. When I was a special ed... No, kid, no ball grabbing? No, because we were, we were basically separated into groups. You had the high-functioning kids, you had the, the kids in wheelchairs, you had the kids that couldn't get things right, and then you had those of us that they thought, hey, we can fix this kid. We can make him not retarded. I kid you not, this is what was happening in, at the Diagnostic Learning Center. Who can we fix to get them into the regular classes, right? So I was part of the, we can fix this kid to get him to regular class. These people actually think they cured dyslexia. <laughs> I'm the person that they point to and they're like, we cured it once. So you're I post- never had the shit. 
He's a poster child for carrying dyslexia. No, he's a poster child for not how to get an ass whooping. Yeah, I know how to not get it. So, but like after a year, I was magically cleared, uh, cured of my dyslexia, and I got to be in, in kindergarten. So I started kindergarten at the age of six. <laughs> so, but that's the fun thing. Like, but it it when I was in in special ed, when I was at the diagnostic learning center, like people behaved inappropriately all the time. Everybody was inappropriate, right? Until they told us, that's not right. Don't do this. Like, that's not how you behave out there. So maybe everybody just needs to be in special ed class. And that is the ultimate uh, point that I want to endorse here as we're going to go ahead and sound off or close out. Because uh, I think you're right. I think that's going to be the name of my next special. Everybody should be in special ed class. <laughs> this has been the Full Butter Podcast Lounge. My special guest, Jeremy M.F. Paul. My name is Mr. X. Thank you for tuning in, and you want to close out the show? Uh, my name is Jeremy Paul. You can find me anywhere. Buy my albums. I have no credits. Uh, Genocide and Megalomaniac. And uh, thank you for... And welcome to the FBP Lounge. That's for Full Blooded Podcast. My name is Mr. X, and we're doing another round of Full Blooded Podcasting. Uh, no holds barred from one of the most interesting comedians that I know, Mr. Jeremy M.F. Paul. Take it. Part two, part two. I'm Jeremy uh, Paul. He calls me Jeremy motherfucking Paul. Uh, but I guess he just wants me to say motherfucking. I do. You know why? Because only <laughs> a black guy can say it as cool as that. I want to be cool like that one day. Kind of like the, the motherfucking gig that uh, Bernie Mac has. I ain't scared of you motherfucker. That guy? Yeah. Dude, uh, I just love it. I just love it. We were talking uh, a little bit uh, about a couple of points and it quickly went. On this, on this huge branch of uh, topics. And what I wanted to do for 15 minutes turned into an hour, so we're going to be able to give you another chance to close out. Um, let's talk about one last subject. Okay. And I want to talk about George Carlin. Okay. What are your thoughts before I ask you? George Carlin is, as he would say, the greatest humorist of all time. He never really considered himself a comic. He would say, I'm a humorist. He is the greatest humorist of all time. Fuck Mark Twain. He is the greatest humorist of all time. Um, his way with words astounds everyone because he had he had a he was always coming from a different angle. And then, like after after he went through personal tragedy, like uh, I believe his wife died, uh, he became meaner and funnier. Like at least to me. Like I loved the like uh, after brain droppings. Basically, he. He completely went in on like, look, I might not have much time left. I'm going to say whatever the fuck I want to say for the rest of my life. And like, if you can get to that point, like I said in the last podcast, if you can get to that point, everything else frees you up. Like, especially as a comic, if you can get to the point where you say, get, say to yourself, look, I'm going to speak my heart and my mind and not give a damn what anyone else thinks. You know, I, I, do you think, I feel it is, do you think that's probably the biggest reward, uh, it's kind of selfish to say this, but if you can reach a point where you have a mic in front of you and a platform to say whatever you want and there's not that much accountability because you're a jokester and you've had a reputation of, you know, stirring up some feathers, um, stepping on some feet, the whole politically correct conversation we had earlier, um, is... Is that cathartic? I mean, you're basically oh, yeah. saying what the hell you want, and it goes back to this whole power trip thing. I mean, 
you're empowering people to challenge themselves and grow, maybe make life a little better for everybody. But it kind of goes back to this is just for us. Yeah. Like George Carlin changed lives. He honestly changed lives. There's a lot of comics that wouldn't be doing the kind of comic comedy that they're doing if not for George Carlin. Like just yep. like just like Richard Pryor changed lives. Richard Pryor is the most stolen from comic on the place of the earth, on the face of the earth. Nope. Nobody's gets stolen from more than him. But of course he had writers. So like but But not in the beginning. No, not in the beginning, but in the beginning he was just stealing from Bill Cosby. Funny enough. He was doing Bill Cosby kind of jokes. Like people don't realize that I guess, but that's what he was doing. That's how he got on and got into Vegas because he was doing Bill Cosby act. And then he found himself and became Richard Pryor with the help of Paul Mooney and you know, some couple others. But uh George Carlin sat in, by his typewriter and by his computers and he would just bang out his every thought. And when he was like he went from being the hippy dippy weatherman to one of the greatest comics that's ever lived. So you said that he got meaner when he got older. Yeah. And I kind of have the same uh, take on it because when I watch his stuff from the 60s, when he's giving uh, stories that are funny, characterizations of American Indians going to battle uh-huh. or maybe sailors on a ship, you know, uh, on the Christopher Columbus voyage, uh, he's very entertaining. You know, he's, he's in multiple characters, multiple voices. Uh-huh. And he was very family friendly. You know, he's got yeah. the... The slick black hair, the suits, the whole thing. Uh-huh. But then you watch him in his thirties go when through this tra- <laughs> go through this transformation where he's starting to bash Americans and what they stand for when it's hypocritical what? towards the big picture and what he feels, you know, is is odd about humanity. He's, he gives them the talent, but then he is quickly to break them all down and how ridiculous it is. Anyway, I can go on and on about this, but yeah. it does sound mean if you're not aware of his of his journey. No, what I'm saying is he got meaner in the fact that he 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 what he was doing like towards the end where uh, you were all diseased, right? You were all diseased is a great hour of comedy. It's lovely. Like if you can watch it and you sit there and you take it and you realize he's talking about his fans, <laughs> like he's talking about all of you. Watching this. This is an old man who knows, man, I've already had two heart attacks. <laughs> like, I, I've, I have a weak heart because I did cocaine to the hilt into, well into my 40s and 50s. I'm not going to live that long. Once you, once you get to that point, and he's like, you know what? I might not live that long. I might have another heart attack soon. I'm, I'm on all, all kinds of pills and blood pressure medications trying to keep myself alive. You know what? I'm going to say whatever the fuck I want. I saw an interview of him on local TV. I think it was KTLA Channel 5. And this was a couple years before he died. And uh, I thought he was in his 80s. He, he didn't look well for his age. But, you know, most comedians that take life on the real. This is what we look. This is what we dress. This is how we feel. Uh-huh. We're not looking to do Botox. We're not looking to do implants. This is it, right? And I, and, and I get that. I think that's cool. And I have, a, I have a bit on that, too, I want to talk about. But what I didn't understand is why he seemed so fatalistic, so down, I mean, he just seemed like such a Debbie Downer 
when everybody, the anchor station, was all excited to have him sitting at the desk with him as he's promoting, I don't know, what a book or a, a special or something. But he was like, I don't want to be here. All you fucking people are lame and I don't give a shit. But while he was nice and polite, that's the vibe that I got. Well, that's because it was 8 in the morning. He was probably up till 2, 3 in the morning the prior night writing and telling jokes. He doesn't want to be there. It's he honestly he like he had stuff to promote. It's like like when you're on Midwest radio and you had, you came from L.A. and you got to fly to uh, like uh, what was fucking uh, Ar- Arkansas, Peoria, Illinois, Bloomington, Indiana. You got to do some shit radio show. I love the radio shows. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you got to do some some radio show at at six in the morning, but you got in the town. At one in the morning, and the radio, the club sends the car to pick you up, and you got to go to the radio station so you can promote your show for the next day. So I agree, he probably wasn't uh, seen in the best of light because you know he wasn't up for the for the the promo. I, and I guess someone of his stature was you know done a lot. Why do you need yeah. to go? To the, I, I get that. It was Rufus, but and Bill <clears> did. yes, I oh dude, <laughs> take a shot in the mouth for a ride. Yeah, I, I love I love that line. So so the reason we want to talk about George Carlin is because. Um, I've noticed that some comedians are notorious for basing their their comedy or a, a significant portion thereof. And I use the word bashing, and I'm not using that word lightly. I mean, he literally is talking about how ridiculous, how moronic, and how he uses the word stupid Americans are. Oh, yeah. And I don't want to get on that European bandwagon where we're downgrading Americans because while I'm not one of the most patriotic people, I, I don't bite the hand that feeds me. You know, I think every, I think everything's a trade-off. You know, look at marriage, for example. Uh-huh. Look at politics. Everything is a trade-off. Everything is a compromise. But you and I were speaking about the... And I said it as the obligation of comics. And you said gestures. It's their job to pick out what's funny and, you know, to let people know that, you know, you're kind of accountable. You're the king. You should be getting your shit together. So what I'm saying is, when I look at George Carlin towards the end or the last 25 years, he was so adamant about letting everybody know the planet's going to be fine without you. You guys are all fucked because that's how you guys really are. And, and he's right. And it's nobody's fault because that's how we all really are. Women are crazy. They're nuts. Men, you're all stupid. You follow all the men's bullshit. Uh-huh. But I never heard an out. I never heard, why can't we do it this way? I never heard, here's a better plan. All I heard was him ringing the bell of how moronic everybody was. And that is also funny. All right. Here's... Here's something funny. It's a it's a train of thought that I've been exploring over the last year. Well, the last two years. All right. All of your knowledge has been given to you by what other people know. You have no knowledge that someone else didn't give you. You didn't come across any knowledge that someone else didn't learn first. Think about that. Everything you know is something that somebody else already knew. A hand me down. Right. Everything. What's the most original thought that you could possibly think of? Who am I? Right? Who am I? Figuring out who you are leads to you having an original thought. Plenty of people won't figure out who they are. George Carlin figured out who he was. Who do you think he thought he was? I have no idea. He didn't share that, did he? No. He never, fig- he never showed who he was. His family probably knew. His daughter Kelly, she very likely knows who he is. But a lot of people haven't figured out who they are. I think 99% of the world has no idea who they are. They're floating aimlessly 
trying to figure it out. I totally agree with that because while we're trying to be comedians and funny and enlightening and, and, and all that, it's funny how we are now delving, we're dwelling in a place where I've, I've been wanting to go with somebody. Uh-huh. And it's not gay, so you're, you're cool with that. I just want to let you know. <laughs> not there's anything wrong with that. No, no not at all. <laughs> no. Um, Absolute. Yeah. <laughs> so one of my favorite episodes in Twilight Zone uh-huh. uh, is Who Are We episode. Uh-huh. A bunch of puppets, I'm sorry, toys, and a bottom of drums, like a big old bucket. Are you familiar with that episode? Mm-hmm. Okay. And the one character is a clown, right? He makes fun of everything. He's the comic. You know, he talks about how perception can be anything. We could be on the eyeball of a child. We could be playthings for this. He's coming up with all these crazy scenarios, right? Yeah, Matrix. Right, exactly, exactly. But the, the the major, the military doll, the military toy, he is adamant. He eventually gets to the top. He convinces everybody to put a ladder, he, make a ladder. He gets all the way to the top, and the ballerina's like, what's up there? He's sitting on the edge of this pail, and he's looking out in the darkness. And just before he realizes what it is and he can answer what it is, he falls into the snow. And a little girl picks up the doll, saying, oh, you dropped this to the lady who's... So, as the major gets picked up from the snow by this child and put back into the bucket of goodwill, Rod Sterling starts talking about these were just playthings, but in the arms of a child, when they're loved, they're alive. Hmm. I almost feel like a comedian, when they're being loved or when they're being adored or when they're being recognized or when they're being laughed along with, mm-hmm. it's like we're all together being something at at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the comedian is that one doll that regardless of all the confusion, because nobody knows who they are, was able to get high enough to see just over the next hill to know mm-hmm. how far enough it is that we don't really know of how tragic, fatalistic, or unknown of an element we're surrounded by. Yeah. And I feel like when you watch the movie The Titanic and we're all in a ship going down, it's just a matter of time. Who do you want to go down with? The, you know, small band of orchestra, uh, the musicians that are playing those wonderful violin ballads, mm-hmm. or do you want to, you know, try to swim on the cold and take your chances, or do you want to be in the boat? Or the, I mean, like, which character are you going to play on your way going down? And I feel like the comic. This is why I said I think com- comedians are genuine people. I feel like the comic is that one person who, good childhood or bad childhood, you know, they've been able to harness the search of who they are get to a point high enough to see further than most people and kind of make joke of it all because they know something that other people don't know. Anyway, that's your turn. Well, I don't know where the question is in that. <laughs> so, so the question is, I feel like a, a gesture or a jokester or a comedian, like since they know a little bit more than the average person, you said we need to know who we are. Like, right. who am I? I think think that the things that we say and do are poking at people's sensitivities to ask them, well, why do you feel angry about this? Or why do you feel indifferent about this? Or why do you have this view about this? Because if you answer these questions, ultimately you get to the core and the core is like, who, who ultimately do we think we are? And I think that's the only important journey to be on. And that's kind of what journey I've been on since probably like seven, which is why I've always done the things that I've done, meaning talking to my interview people, network, wanting to find out their expressions of how they create because usually you create from, from a place the, the bigger your pain is or the bigger your struggle is the more ammunition you're going to have to create yeah. and I think those are the people that are interesting and I think those are the people that use as a soundboard so that you can answer your own internal questions exactly well that, that's how strongly I feel about comedy as this humanitarian value it has or this, this guide that it has 
maybe not white wisdom, but it's definitely a handout. It's like an olive branch. Like, hey, what, do you want to do you want to think better about yourself? Do you want to think why you are the way you are? That's you know maybe abstract therapy. I don't know. Well, what I think you're asking, or not asking, but uh, stating is like how how do you get how do you get to to be honest? I think that's what you're asking. Well, or what I, you're saying. I think, I think I'm asking is because of the, of the comedian's makeup, I think overall we're honest people. Or genuine well, people. Well, I'm, But you're saying no, go ahead. No, I, I always say, that, like, there's some of us that are honest. Like, I'm completely honest on stage. Like, I, I have to be, because I'm completely honest off stage. Like, it goes back to me, again, not caring what people think. Uh, there's, a, but most people are playing a character. Like, I'd say about 90% of comedy comics are playing a character. Do you play a character in real life? No. You're just you. I'm, I have to be me all the time because I'm a terrible actor. <laughs> like I'm, I'm terrible at acting. I am the worst fucking actor. Uh, like, because to be an actor, you have to read someone else's words and believe them enough to make yourself feel what they're feeling. Whereas... I don't believe anybody, anything anyone says, really. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge skeptic, right? So I can believe what I'm saying because I know it to be true. Uh, I've, I'm not, I don't care enough to lie. But if I'm acting, like I, somebody, if somebody puts me in a play and I have to show affection, I have to, like if I have to show love, right, I don't know how. Because I've never been in a relationship. I've never had real love. How am I supposed to show that, right? If I, if I have to, like, be in a, in a intense scene where I have, like, some big, huge guy is walking towards me in a movie and he's threatening me and i got to play scared, right? I don't know how. You're rarely scared. Yeah, nothing scares me. I have nothing that... I've lost everything already. <laughs> everything I've ever loved is gone. I have nothing left to fear. So why how do I do that? How do I show like ah oh, man I I'm scared of this happening. Well, I'm not. Do you, do you do you feel that whether you're genuine or honest or not on stage has anything to do with the success uh factor, the success rate of a comic? Well, on my first album, I have no credits, which I I love to promote. Uh Go ahead and tell everybody cuz we got no, couple. Yeah. But no, my my first how, do get, how do we hold on? How do we access uh, that? Uh, you can find it online on uh, Amazon, uh, iTunes, Spotify, Tidal. It's all on, on all the platforms. No credits. Yeah, I have no credits. I have no credits. <coughs> There's three albums. I Have No Credits was the first. Megalomaniac was the second. And Genocide was the third. <coughs> Shit. That'll be so, the fourth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm dying. Shit. That's the third one. Uh, the fourth one. So, on my first album, I have no credits. Um, I say, like, in the beginning, I'm not trying to make it. I'm just trying to make a living. Right? And that's honestly what it is. Like, people are trying to make it. And they don't know what making it means. Well, my making it is making a living. Like, can I pay my bills? That's good enough for you? Yeah, can I die comfortably through stand-up? And that's making it. Hold on. Now, this is what happens when uh, 
I was going to say, give blowjobs in the morning. And then my friend would say, that's you, Leo. (laughs) That's exactly what he'd be saying right now. (laughs) And the power of words, like how you say shit or shit or shit. (laughs) You know what I mean? So the Asian students that I have when I teach them ballroom dancing, um, and I say that word, they don't understand why I say it all the time. <laughs> I'm saying, no, I'm happy right now. That was the shit right now. And uh, right. I have a whole bit I want to do in that. But keep going because this is some pretty deep shit right here about, in my opinion, the validity of pursuing uh, the lifestyle of a comic because I like what you said, you know, what is, what is success as a comic? And to you, it's just making it. To me... No, it's making a living. Uh, making a living. To, to me, I don't know what it is yet because you got me thinking about questions like you know who really am i and of course well all that is why are we here and what do i want but i just feel like no, we all know why we're here oh i don't know that why we're here go ahead See, no why we're here is a it's a simple answer what is it we're here to exist to populate the planet because the planet without populace is just a star like that's like we, weeds like trees like flowers we're we're as the as as it was so so, so elegantly put in the movie the matrix we are a disease we are, inf- cancer of this planet. Yeah, we are infecting this planet, using up all those resources until it finally fights us off and kills us. That's what we are. Bacteria live on our eyelashes. That shit in our eyes every night. And we left some of that on the moon. Yeah. You know, Alan, Alan Watts, you know who Alan Watts is? No. Okay, Alan Watts died uh, a long time ago. I think he died in the late 70s. Uh, but he he called himself an entertainer, and he's a philosopher. Uh, he has, especially as uh, Eastern... Uh, philosophy, Eastern religion. He was a Catholic priest for a while. I think it's part of his journey to be an intellectual. He truly is an intellectual. But one of the things I got out of him, you can find him on YouTube too, is that without human beings or without someone like us that's conscious or has or is conscientious of things around us, there is no living testimony to the universe. And the universe is stupid. The universe does things without... It just does it. It doesn't have... Any consideration if you're going to have a bad day because of the rain or if you're no longer going to be here as a species, it just sorts itself out. But without anybody with a thought process, who would there be to talk about it? And you don't, and without having somebody to witness what's going on, it's not, it's not going on. See, that's a tree falls in the woods. <laughs> that's, yes. That's basically, he just exactly ate. what it is. All he did was ape if a tree falls in the woods and nobody's around to hear it, doesn't make a sound. That's... He just made an entire philosophical sentence off of an old parable. Yeah, but he decided to use you in it. And that's what makes it special. Uh-huh. It's kind of like you go to your girlfriend and you want to get a blowjob out of her and start giving all kinds of compliments. And she's like, oh, that's just a bunch of stuff that you got from some rap song. That ain't genuine. That ain't, that ain't new. That ain't creative. That ain't on the fly. That, that's just some stuff because you want a blowjob. You just took some, a bunch of old cool parables so you can get me in bed. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's, that's essentially what a lot of modern philosophers do yeah. uh there's not many that actually go into like, like deep physics and stuff like that uh but i forgot what i was about to say the uh i guess the hilt of it is is that we are um, hilt at, i'm sorry the hilt of it is yeah the the you know the you i know, know what it is but i haven't i think i haven't done 30 years the hilt i like that to the hilt, Alice. <laughs> I was an English major in college. That's awesome. uh, minor, I mean, not major. Dude, that's awesome. Uh, so, one of my—sorry to digress—but uh, one of my my uh, my my New Year's resolutions from three years ago was to use every word in the English language in a sentence uh, in conversation, and I'm still working on Have that. Have you used the word "cunt" yet? Plenty of times. Oh god. <laughs> so, but that's like I I. I 
uh, I'm a project terminologist infatuated with languages. Dude, that's awesome. Right? So I, I love words, and I want to use them all. Okay. Uh, I think I'm up to like maybe 14 or 20,000, somewhere in between there. Um, you must be a hell of a Scrabble player. I, I don't fuck with me. All right. <laughs> like, I don't need the book. Uh, so, yeah. Um, like, as you can play, I use the word hilt in a sentence <laughs> accurately. Uh, <laughs> so, but the, 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 uh, the hilt of the conversation yes. is that, um, as, as a species, we'll eventually like wear out our welcome. Something will kill us off. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Be it comet, be it planet, be it floods, be it, uh, like, you know, uh, the iron ore and the and the planet suddenly uh, solidifying and and throwing the planet off a couple of degrees, which sends us in the path of Ceres, and we could, get could be methane. Yeah, plenty uh, of methane that trapped everywhere. Yeah, it, there's so many things that are going to kill us off. Yeah, and it's a matter of time. Yeah, and the planet will still exist. Yes, and that's what Carlin was talking about. Yeah, you know, like we we think we're important and we're not. As far as the the philosopher, the guy you were talking Alan about, Watts, yeah. Alan Watts, the guy who, who said he was plagiarizing. Now, here's the fun part about that, sure. right? Uh, I was talking to a guy a long time ago, as like when I was a teenager, and I was telling him like he was he was talking about you know God and religion, sure. right? And I was I was he was like we're the most important things in the universe to God, right? And to which I responded with, wait, number one, which God? That's number one. Yeah. And do you actually think that we are right about what God is, right? Because let's say in the entire Milky Way, or let's go past the Milky Way. Sure. What about in Andromeda? There's bound to be a species living in Andromeda that has conscious thought. Okay. Right? What about the Triangle? There's got to be a, a species of life that lives in that galaxy as well. So what if they have their own vision of God? Sure. Right? Are they right or are we right? Who's right? What if they don't have Thor? What if they don't have Jehovah? What if they have something that's unpronounceable to humans? Sure. Like, are we are we right or are they right? So, so it goes back to kind of what I was trying to allude to when I got caught up in the meaning that in the meaning that comics, comedians, jesters, jokesters, they try to get you to think, maybe not necessarily their perspective but to try to get you to think that you have one perspective have you considered other perspectives yeah that's that's what we have to do we have to provoke thought to let you know that you're probably wrong about everything you believe <laughs> so and, and and so and so george carlin you know brings up to people and his audience his, his listeners you know all the crazy things that we do all the wacky things we do and that it shouldn't be like that uh-huh but there lies in the irony. Can you imagine if everybody went ahead and took the advice of intellectual scientists, people that know what's our better welfare, we'd have a very boring society, and then where would comics be? Well, we would still have stand-up comics talking about these overlords of knowledge that have it all over us. Like, it, it's already happening in this country. People hate smart people in this country. They hate us so much in this country. People really hate... it's. Yeah, people deny climate science. Like, the world's not heating up. Meanwhile, tornadoes in December. Come on, man. <laughs> so people, people like hate smart people so much because they're they're not as smart. It's been going since grade school. 
you beat up the nerd. It goes in high school. You beat up the geek. It goes in the like your job now. You hate your boss. Your boss is smarter than you are. <laughs> your boss, your boss has you working for him. Like he's smarter than you. He's you're making him money. So you know, one of the nice things about talking to you, Jeremy, is is that uh, you you dispense so much comical knowledge and wisdom in answering one question on one or two points that it's easy to just to veer off and talk about other stuff. Yeah. So I want to extend another invitation to come back to the Portable Studio, sponsored by <laughs> FreeBaldwinLessons.com, and. Uh, talk more about life and comedy and what you're up to i want you to close out the show we have plenty of time i've had a wonderful time learning about how uh smooth you are in correcting my line of thought and 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 i find that enlightening because anthony robbins says that if you're not growing then you're doing the opposite you're dying there's only two things that's only one law i believe in constant you're either growing or you're dying and you know growing is sometimes an uncomfortable process um at least that's what i tell my girlfriend and um, what? Anyway, uh, close out the show, and I want to say thank you for uh, hanging out at the Full Butter Podcast Lounge. Well, I want to say again for the third time, uh, thank you very much for having me in the mobile uh, studio lounge brought to you by FreeBallroomLessons.com. And uh, please, if you guys are listening, uh, I want you all to realize that uh, it's a nice rainy day here in Los Angeles, and I love it. And I love being in California, and I love the people, even though you guys are so stupid sometimes. So very stupid. George Carlin was right. <laughs> but don't, the, don't, don't our fans feel better now? Okay. The, the, the fact that I'm not famous. <laughs> and, so, and the cash me outside girl just got a $900,000 check. <laughs> means that you guys are very, very stupid. <laughs> so, wow. awesome. but but I love you all for being stupid. I hope you guys will be stupid and buy my albums. I have no credits, genocide, and megalomaniac. And I hope you understand why I named my second album Megalomaniac now. Um, thank you for having me. Uh, thank you guys for listening. And I hope y'all got y'all all listen to every single podcast that Leo makes because uh, he's a funny dude and fun and easy to talk to, especially now. All right, y'all be good. Thank you so much for those kind words. My name is Mr. X saying goodbye. And remember, at the Full Blooded Poker pod, at the Full Blooded Podcast Lounge, you're not stupid. We're just stupid together. See ya. <laughs>